right. Hello. Welcome. And I want to give a shout out to Saratoga, to Half Moon, to Greenbush, and to Latham, wherever you may be worshiping today. We're so glad that you've made this choice to worship the living and reigning Jesus Christ. Heather Campos had been married for 25 years, and because her husband Rennie was a pastor, and they were both engaged in serving the Lord together, she really felt very secure in her relationship. But then they entered a troubling season of marriage. Her husband Rennie became increasingly distant. He started losing himself in internet chat rooms. And then Heather began to experience some gynecological problems and she was actually diagnosed with a low strain of a sexually transmitted disease. What to do? She confronted her husband. Gary Thomas, in his book, Sacred Marriage, shares this story. She confronted her husband and he insisted that he was not responsible for this disease. Later, she confronted him a second time and said, I'm not so foolish as to believe I have this disease all by myself. This time, there was nothing but silence, and it was the most awful period of silence Heather had ever known. And in that silence, she had her answer. She relates that first, she just went numb. She retreated into the living room and began to read the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. She said to herself, God knows about betrayal and unfaithfulness. I've got to find out how this worked. Rennie followed her into the living room and wanted to talk, but she wasn't quite ready. She had to work some things out personally first. And all she could say to him at this point is, other people have gotten through this. And by God's grace, I believe that I will too. But right now, I just need to be by myself. And we're going to come back to that story in just a few minutes. But I want to talk to you today as we wrap up this marriage series. And oh, thank you for all of the positive feedback. My sense is that God, through his spirit, is working incredibly in our lives, in our relationships through these teachings, through his word. But I want to talk to you today about one of the most important topics of all if relationships, particularly marriages, are going to survive. And that is the topic of forgiveness. You see, here's the deal. Whatever your relationship, you're going to need to grapple with forgiveness. But I believe that in a marital relationship, where the trust is deeper, where the love is probably the greatest that you have for anyone in this world, when you are hurt by that person, it takes forgiveness to a whole new level because the hurt, the hurt is so deep. You instinctively want to retaliate and some, find some way to get revenge. I heard of one husband in the Seattle area who passed away and his loving wife as you would imagine, prepared a, went to a stonemason and had a tombstone prepared. And on this headstone, she lovingly had the stonemason carve those traditional words. You know what they are. Rest in peace. 
But then this dear grieving widow learned that her husband had been having an affair for months leading up to the time that he passed away. And she was devastated. And so she went back to the same stonemason and had him carve four more words on that headstone. And so there's a stone now in Seattle, Washington that reads, rest in peace until we meet again. Some people, some people are going to take conflict to the grave and beyond. But God has called us as Christians to be counterculture. If anybody ought to be tuned in, experts, if you will, on forgiveness, it ought to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ. There's a verse that I believe could serve as a theme verse, in a sense, not only for this message today, but really for the whole topic of forgiveness. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, and it reads like this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So today, I want to share with you four principles about forgiveness that I hope will help us not only get a handle on what it is and is not, but will help our relationships to flourish as we grapple with this all-important topic. The first principle is simply this. A good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Now, that is a quote That statement is a quote from Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham. And I think it is spot on. I think it's absolutely true. After they had been married for a number of decades, somebody asked Ruth Graham, who made this statement. She said, they said, after all these years, have you ever considered divorcing your husband, Billy Graham? She said, divorce? No. Murder, yes. But not divorce. A good marriage, a great marriage, is the union of two forgivers. Now, I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but I want to say to all of you who are married, eventually your mate is going to wound you. Oh, I hope it is not something egregious and horrible. I hope it's not substance abuse and a lifestyle of alcoholism. I hope it's not unfaithfulness, infidelity. I hope it's not some egregious crime or lying or living a double life. I hope not. But you will be wounded. It may be something like just emotional insensitivity to your needs. It may be that he or she refuses to grow in the relationship and become a better communicator. It may have to do with parenting. And your mate is just unwilling to try to enter into the parenting journey with you, you will be wounded. And here's the thing, what are you going to do with that? I'm not asking that flippantly. I'm asking it with compassion. What are you going to do? Because it's going to happen. How are you going to deal with those hurts, those wounds? If we don't get a handle on biblical forgiveness, what it is and what it is not, We are going to find ourselves stuck. And here's my concern. Those hurts, those wounds may continue to 
fester, and instead of being dealt with and resolved, they may actually get worse. Back in July the 22nd of 1881, when President James Garfield was shot by an assassin, doctors probed that wound trying to find the bullet, but they couldn't really get to it. It was just a little complicated where it had lodged in there. And so they closed him up after a while, and then they went back some days later, probed again that wound, and that happened several times. And experts believe that if they had, it wasn't fatal. They believe that if they had actually left it alone, it would have actually healed itself. But the constant probing is what killed him. He died after two months of an infection caused by the constant probing of the wound. I believe that a lot of things in marriage kind of have a way of healing themselves over time. And things that have been repented of, that are sins, that have been repented of and dealt with and forgiven, they certainly are can be healed, but... It's the constant digging and reviewing and reliving and this intensified infection that leads to bitterness. Can I tell you something about the person you married? They are imperfect. Newsflash, newsflash. That person you married that you were gaga in love with romance might have been off the charts you might have been head over heels in love I'm gonna tell you this person is imperfect there's gonna be lots of issues you're gonna need to deal with boy am I a bearer of good news today or what I'm just a I'm just a bundle of good news today am I not that's why scripture says we need to not Look at the speck of sawdust in our brother or sister's eye. We rather need to get the beam, the log, the plank out of our own eye. Somebody said, don't judge your wife too harshly for her weaknesses. If she didn't have them, chances are she would have never married you. Amen, amen, amen. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. One professional counselor told the true story of a woman who could not forgive her husband for his past use of pornography. She just struggled and struggled with that and could not forgive him. And yet she had a serious eating disorder. Her husband had been very gracious, very kind, very compassionate, very forgiving with her even though she had gained well over 100 pounds from the time they were married, and it was no glandular disorder involved. It had been medically established. This was purely overeating. But she had little empathy for a man who had used the photographs of naked women in the same way that she used food to medicate herself. Her understandable, hear that, her very understandable but unfortunate bitterness kept her from seeing the similarities or the connection between the two. She was so focused on her own wound, she had no sympathy for someone facing a different struggle. 
So here's the deal. We can spend our lives berating our mate for being less than perfect, or we can admit our own weaknesses and learn to forgive the weaknesses of others. Somebody said a good marriage is three parts love and seven parts forgiving. It's the union of two forgivers. A second principle I would ask you to consider, though, today is this. The model for forgiveness is God's forgiveness of us. And that is crucial to consider. God himself is the model for how he wants you and me to forgive others. Colossians 3 again reads, forgive as, notice that, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, the obvious question is, how has the Lord forgiven us? Let's consider that for a moment. First, his forgiveness is completely radical. Think about it. There's no sin you've ever committed that is so horrendous that he won't completely forgive you if you repent of that, turn it over to him, and trust in him. He forgave Noah's drunkenness. He forgave Moses' murder. He forgave David's adultery. He forgave Elijah's uh, just downright pessimism, depression, doubt. He forgave Peter's denial. He forgave Saul of Tarsus' persecution of Christians. What has he forgiven you of? You see, Scripture is so encouraging on this topic. It says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So his forgiveness is completely radical. Second, his forgiveness is ongoing. He doesn't just forgive us once or twice and say, now don't you ever mess up again or you'll never be forgiven again. No, he forgives 70 times 7 again and again. I'm so glad about that, aren't you? That God doesn't say to me, Rex Keener, I've forgiven you the last five weeks when you've confessed that sin each week. How dare you come to me with that again? No, he buries my sin in the deepest sea and he doesn't remember it anymore. His forgiveness is ongoing. And third, his forgiveness, catch this now, is unfair. I hear people say some of the strangest things about forgiveness. Some of the strangest things. I don't want to forgive him. That would be unfair. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. Does anybody ever deserve forgiveness? I mean, think about the cross. You talk about unfair. There's nothing fair about the cross. An innocent person is executed. He did nothing to deserve that. He did not deserve that. And the guilty people go free. That's just not fair. That's grace is what that is. Grace flowing from God. Grace flowing from the cross to you and me. That's the marvel of forgiveness. And he said, you forgive each other, especially your mate, the way I forgive you. I like Luke chapter 17. Jesus here 
says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. How could Stephen forgive the people who were stoning him? How could Corey Ten Boom forgive those who executed her family members and incarcerated her in a concentration camp and humiliated and tortured her? How can someone who's lost a loved one to a drunken, irresponsible driver ever forgive that driver? The only way I know the only way I know is if they tap in to the amazing grace of God. That's the only way I know that can happen. And if you have trouble forgiving your mate for something they've done, I would suggest an exercise that's pretty sobering, at least to me. If your mate has done something and you're struggling, why don't you do this exercise? Write down the five things, just five, just name five. You could probably name 50 pretty fast. But write down five things that you are most thankful God has forgiven you for. Five. And just look at those for a minute. And what you may discover is that God seldom, if ever, will ask you to forgive someone of something that's worse than what he's already forgiven you of. And it honestly is kind of a wake-up call. I heard about one woman whose husband had just bought a new car. It was the first new car this couple had ever had. And you know how that is if you've ever had a new car. Boy, you don't want to get the first scratch on it, do you? You don't want to have an accident. You don't want to mess it. You don't want another car door to bump it and put a little nick in it. So I, you just, I don't, I'm not even going to drive it. And that's what she said. I'm not even going to drive it. But he said, oh, no, that's why we got it. Of course you're going to drive it. Go ahead. And sure enough, two months later, she had an accident. And the police asked to see the registration and proof of insurance. And when she searched through the glove compartment and pulled out the registration card, there was a note on it from her husband. And here's what the note said. Honey, if you're needing these papers... It probably means you've had an accident. Just remember, I love you more than I love the car. Signed, Robert. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That is generous forgiveness, the way God forgives us. And one of the resources we highly recommended to you at the beginning of the series, Dr. Les Parrott wrote, and I quote, to forgive is to withhold judgment, to forswear vengeance, to renounce bitterness, to break the silence of estrangement, and actually, ooh, 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 this, this, this is pushy now, to actually wish for the best in the person who has hurt you, us. Forgiveness is not for the faint of heart. Our sense of justice actually recoils at the thought of this unnatural act. And this unnatural act of forgiveness takes a supernatural source to empower it. So I'll just say this before we quickly move on to these final two principles. I have discovered, just 
in my own experience, I've got no data to back this up, so please, please understand that. But just anecdotally, it seems to me that the people who are the best forgivers are those who know they've been forgiven. Now you think about that. Most people I know who really, really struggle forgiving, forgiving are people who either don't seem to have experienced the forgiveness of God in their own lives, or they really doubt that they have. But when you realize all that God has forgiven you, when God has graced you, you become a pretty good grace giver because you've experienced it and you know that it is truly amazing. But let's quickly move on today. I want you to see a third principle that really, I'm eager to talk to you about this because I am totally bothered by how much misunderstanding there is on this topic of forgiveness. Here's the principle. Biblical forgiveness is greatly misunderstood by many people. Now, I really want you to listen right now because I'm telling you, we've got to understand what it is and what it is not. I think there's a lot of false assumptions out there. First of all, forgiveness does not mean we're glossing over what was done. I've actually met people who think, well, if, if I really forgive them, it's what I'm really saying is, no, I wasn't really hurt, and what you did wasn't bad. What? Where did that thinking come from? No, real forgiveness says, yes, I was really hurt, and what you did was really bad. It acknowledges that in all of its awfulness, whatever it was. But in acknowledging that, I also relinquish any right I may feel I have to retaliate. And you say, like Jesus Christ, I'm willing to absorb the pain. I'm not going to attempt to make you pay for this. But it's not a glossing over it. Secondly, forgiveness does not mean the offending person will be exempt from God's judgment. In my pastoral experience, it seems that one of the reasons people struggle so much at times with forgiveness is they say, wait a minute, this person did this awful thing and they're just going to get off? They're just going to go, they did this horrible thing and they're just going to go scot-free? No, listen, forgiveness means that you refuse to play God. That's what it means. Who said they were going to get off scot-free? They still got God to deal with. They still got, in most cases, a bunch, a whole, whole bunch of natural consequences to deal with in this world because there is a cause and effect. We tend to reap what we sow right down here, not just in eternity. Who said they were going to get off scot-free? Only God is a fair judge, and he will deal with it in his own time and way. And the wheels of God's justice may grind slowly, but hear me, they grind exceedingly fine. But don't play God. One of the most pompous, pride-filled actions we ever make as humans is when we try to exact revenge on people, that's God's job. Leave it to God. You're going to foul it up. I'm telling you, you're going to mess it up. 
Leave that to God. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave that to God. He's got it. Trust me. He can handle his affairs. You don't have to play God any longer. And third, forgiveness does not mean restoration of trust immediately. And I want to add, if ever, please listen carefully right now. There's a big difference, a world of difference between forgiving a person and believing in a person. Or to put it differently, world of difference between forgiving a person and trusting that person. Forgiveness is often rather quick. It can be at least. Trust usually develops over time. It requires a track record of trustworthiness. For instance, let's say you had a daughter who was going to get married to a young man, and you just love this young man. You're so thankful, actually, to God that he led your daughter to such a wonderful young man. He fits well in the family, and they've gone through all the marital, premarital counseling, and it's six weeks away. The wedding is six weeks away. And suddenly you're stunned to discover that this young man you thought was just amazingly pure, living a life above board, you discover he's $100,000 in debt to drug dealers, $100,000. He himself can't believe that you've not picked up on this. You thought you were more astute than that. He himself is hooked on cocaine, and he's dealing drugs, and there's a, this huge debt he owes. And he comes over to your house when he knows you are aware of this. And he begs for your daughter's forgiveness. He begs for your forgiveness. You say, pastor, should we forgive him? You bet you should. You bet you should. I think you'd be stupid to go through with the wedding. Just saying, just my opinion. It at least needs to be postponed. At least. Indefinitely. Why? Why am I saying that? Pastor Rex, why are you saying that? Forgiveness is one thing. Trust is a whole different issue. I am staggered at how many people don't understand that. We're talking about totally different issues here. You can forgive someone completely. It doesn't mean you trust them yet. Major difference. The same is true of a preacher, if I could talk about us pastors for a moment. Let's say that a pastor is found having an affair. Oh, he apologizes, he weeps tears of, of you know, remorse and repentance. He apologizes to the congregation, he comes clean with all the details. I say, forgive him, please forgive him, he's human. But he shouldn't be your pastor anymore. There should be a time where there's a stepping away, where character has to be worked on, where trust has to be established, and 
it may or may not ever be totally reestablished again. There's some glorious examples of where it has and a bunch where it hasn't. You see, in a serious breach of trust in a marriage, the perpetrator needs to understand that while the forgiveness may be almost instantaneous, credibility takes a long time to develop again. One husband had cheated on his wife, and he was truly remorseful. I mean, genuinely repentant. And he said to her, listen, here is a schedule of where I'm going to be every hour of the day today. And here's some of the numbers of the places you could call if you wanted to call the company and check up on me there. And obviously, you've got my cell phone. You can call me at any time. She said, oh, I, I don't need, to, I don't need to, to check up. He said, no, I want you to. I want you to know that the day is going to come when you not only can say you love me, but where you can say that you truly trust me again. Now, that's the guy who's probably going to be able to rebuild trust. Contrast that with the man who cheats on his wife and says after two months, aren't you over this by now? What is your problem? I've already said I'm sorry. Why do you, why do you keep struggling with this? Look, no, I'm not going to go to a stupid counselor. And no, I'm not going to give you where I am every part of the day because I don't want that kind of control in my life. I'd say it's likely trust may never be reestablished again if that's the dude's attitude. There needs to be more of a sign of brokenness than that. It makes trust a whole lot harder to develop. I'll say one word. If you are the victim, if you are the one sinned against in a situation... I would urge you to be careful not to use your wound as an opportunity to gain control in the relationship. I've seen it happen. There's a temptation to use your pain as leverage for years to come to get your way in whatever you want. Don't do that. When a person has genuinely rep repented and there's been restoration and trust has been rebuilt, let it be cast in the deepest sea and move, move on. Don't rub the person's nose in it for the rest of their life. Forgiveness means I release my right to retaliate and I will do my utmost to restore the relationship to the best it can realistically be. But there's one other principle I want to share before we wrap up and close today. And that is, finally, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Ooh. This is so misunderstood. I have forgiven dozens of people of scores of wounds and offenses against me throughout my life. Dozens of people, scores of offenses. I don't think I ever felt like a single one of those. Didn't feel like forgiving, ever. So why do you forgive? Are you a Christian? You're commanded to, that's why. You're commanded to. You're not commanded to trust. So you make that separation in your mind. You're commanded to forgive, not to trust per se. Trust has to be established through a track record of trustworthiness. William James said, if you act the way you wish you felt, eventually you'll feel the way you act. Forgiveness is smart. 
if you choose not to forgive, you're not only keeping the other person in a prison, here's the deal, you're keeping yourself in prison. And when your mate hurts you, you can easily lose perspective and all of a sudden think your goal in life is to get back. I've actually heard these words from married people. I'm going to make her hurt the way she's made me hurt. Ugh. That's not the goal. When you try to do that, can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to hurt your children. You're going to hurt your parents. You're going to hurt your friends. You're going to hurt your Christian testimony. You're going to break the Lord's heart. And eventually, you're going to hurt yourself. Make a decision rather than reacting in anger and trying to get even. Make a decision to forgive in spite of how you feel. Sit down with a legal notepad. List the pros and cons of forgiveness versus retaliation. Look at the end results in terms of what you want to accomplish and then begin to evaluate backwards. I guarantee you that if you look at it logically instead of emotionally, the cost of forgiveness is nothing compared to the cost of bitterness. And folks, you can take that to the bank. Dr. Lewis Smedes writes, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. We set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner we set free is ourselves. So as we wrap up today, I want to say it again. A good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Ruth Bell Graham was absolutely right about that. But you may hurt so badly at times that you greatly struggle to forgive. I would suggest that when you feel that way, try to remember your marriage vows. Do you remember those? They were probably words like this or similar to this with the same intent. For better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health. Do you remember those vows? One young groom thought it was multiple choice. He said, I'll take better, richer, and health. It's not multiple choice, folks. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's made in the presence of God. And your marriage is to be an illustration of how God has loved us and been faithful to us. You can will to forgive do the intelligent thing and follow God's command. Remember Heather Campos that we started with? Her husband, Rennie, had been unfaithful. She knew she had a scriptural reason to divorce her husband, Rennie. And as hurt as she was, that would have been an easy decision. But Heather determined a different path. She believed in redemption stories. And she believed that if they could work through this together, that God could bring something better even out of this horrible tragedy. But what made it worse is that he wasn't at first very even apologetic about it. And as more information came out, she kept being wounded again and again, even deeper. And just about the time she would get emotionally stable, she'd learn something more and that would wound her all over again. She remembers looking at Rennie and thinking, I know I have to forgive you, and I'm going to, but I certainly, 
she says, was not flooded with a great sense of forgiveness. Forgiveness for me was not a feeling, Heather says. It was something I knew I had to do. It was just obedience. So she stayed through the pain, partly because it was God's will and partly because of the kids and partly because she just believed it would be the best thing in the long run. And finally, finally, months later, a day came when Rennie broke in tears. And he pleaded for forgiveness. All the facts came out. That was a very painful day for both of them. But it was a turning point, she says, in our marriage. He dropped out of ministry, and though their lives changed dramatically, they began to rebuild, and intimacy was restored. And then some six years later, Heather Campos says she and Rennie are in a second honeymoon period after 25 years of marriage. She says, and I quote, it was a terrible experience. I would never want to go through it again. But adopting the attitude of forgiveness enabled me to save the marriage, my family, and in a sense, the health of my own walk with God. Today they are living proof that with God all things are possible. I don't know where you are today on your journey, but I do know this. If you're feeling that pain that comes from being sinned against, having a breach of your marriage covenant and your vows or having your mate wound you deeply, I'm very empathetic. That is an awful, awful place to be. But I tell you today, like Heather Campos, you can make a choice. And that choice God can honor and use to make a dramatic difference in your future. But it requires trust in him. And it requires working through the pain. And it requires allowing the miracle of forgiveness to happen in your relationship. Father, would you help us today? Because all over this room, everyone listening to me right now, the sound of my voice, there are situations that are so painful. God, you know everyone, and even more, you care deeply about everyone. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would work by your spirit and bring hope today, because there's hopelessness in some of these. Bring hope and healing, and I pray, Lord, where there needs to be brokenness and repentance, you would bring that conviction. Father, I ask that there would literally be miracles. Stories that could be told for ages and generations to come about your redeeming power and the power of that little word called forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.